0: Going to be talking about the resurrection this morning. I titled the message first importance because Paul called the, the message that he had for the Corinthians there of first importance. First of all, so it's a most important thing. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, 1 Corinthians 15 1 through 24. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you and praise you for your love. Father we just thank you that you demonstrated your love towards us since you allowed your Son, Jesus Christ, to come and die in our place. Father, we thank You for Your presence through Your Holy Spirit, and thank You for Your Spirit that is present today. May our hearts be open to receive the Word that You have for us, Father. Let anything that is not of You, Lord, not even be spoken. But, Father, I pray that everything spoken would be to to lift up Your church, to lift up Your holy name, and, Father, to bring praise and glory and honor unto You. And, Father, we just humble ourselves before You, and may our ears be open, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 24. Paul, the Apostle Paul writing, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all, That which I also received, here is the most important thing that any of us can ever understand, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you believe that? Nod your head or amen, please. If you don't believe that, we'll pray with you. All right. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, my friends, we can say the same thing. I was an awful sinner, but by the grace of God, I am now what I am. I am a son of God. You are a daughter of God because of the grace of God. I don't care how great your sins were, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By a grace of God. Paul was an apostle, an amazing apostle. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. That's the main focus of Paul's message here this morning. That if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen, right? Yet, and we found yeah, and yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now... Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Hallelujah. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. But we can all rejoice when he says, But now, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Friends, this is our hope. This is our hope. Imagine living a life with no hope. As he said, you know, if there was that, not that hope of the resurrection, why bother? Why bother coming to church? Yes, we could come to church to learn how to live more a good moral life, but if there's no hope at the end, it would all be for naught, wouldn't it? Yes, we could still yes we could know Him, but if there was no resurrection, it would be sad. It would it would be a sad thing but we have the hope of the resurrection to live for eternity with Him. That is our hope. I want to begin with a question. Well, I've already began, but... Not necessarily for our individual church, but friends, think of the church in general, the church as a whole. Do you think that in the average church, that there are people attending church that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely, right? So, yes, there are people in church that are there maybe every week or maybe once in a while that have not repented of their sins, do not actually have a relationship, let's say, with Jesus Christ. They might know of Him, but they're there for various reasons. You know, they might be there because they want to make that business connection. Ah, there's some influential people there that I, I might get the chance to talk to. They might be there because it's just tradition. Mom and dad always went. Grandma and grandpa went. It's just a thing to do. They might be there because their spouse dragged them there. I mean, that's why I'm here this morning. My wife dragged me. She says, you've got to go. You're going to church. I'm just like, I don't want to go today. She says, you've got to go. You're the pastor. Right. No. <laughs> just kidding. I'm here because I want to be here. But people go for various reasons. But with that said, it would only stand the reason that there would also be some within the church that don't believe in the resurrection. Correct? Yes. You'll find some that do not believe in the Trinity. You'll find some that do not believe in baptism. You'll find some that don't believe that Christ was born of the Virgin. So it would only stand the reason that Yes, there could be people within the church, not necessarily this church, but the church, that do not have the hope of the resurrection, that do not believe in the bodily resurrection. By the resurrection, that's what we mean, a bodily resurrection, that after death that the body comes back to life. No, it's not going to be the same. We'll get there next, the next Sabbath because that's at the end of this chapter. I'm going to have to have two messages out of chapter 15 because it's a long one. So we'll get, we'll get to that. But we believe in a bodily resurrection. That Christ is going to come back and those that have died in Christ will be raised from that grave and will be changed. That is our hope, friends. And if we are alive when He comes back, we'll be changed. So we believe that That's with all of our heart. That is our hope. The most important thing. You know, in previous chapters, as we've worked through uh, 1 Corinthians here, You know, Paul addresses a lot of faults, a lot of divisions within the church in Corinth. As we said, they had a lot of issues. Friends, the church has always had a lot of issues. But he's still addressing issues. But he's addressing the disbelief of the resurrection by some people, not the whole church. But I kind of believe, as I read this, that there's a little bit change in the tone that Paul's addressing here. It seems that he's reaffirming their faith. He is reaffirming their commitment. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. So he's acknowledging you received the word, you received the truth that I preached to you, and in which you stand. So they were standing in that truth that Paul preached to them, and by which you also are saved. I want to read those verses to you from the message version of the Bible. It says, Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message which I proclaim and that you made your own. Have you done that? Made it your own. Have you received that? Made it yours. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy. That you're in this for the good, for good and holding fast. Are you, we we kind of had that discussion with the kids this morning in the membership class about what a commitment is. It's for a lifetime. A commitment to Christ. Are you really ready and prepared to take that and make that? To make Him your master for the rest of your life? That's what He wants, and that's what we are to do. Lauren Daigle has a song that I I was hearing yesterday as I was traveling. I will take my stand where hope can be found. It's a beautiful song. Friends, will we take our stand where hope can be found, and hope is in Jesus Christ, and our hope is in the resurrection. We'll take that stand on our belief. You know, Jesus' parable, the four Soils," soils, Describes the one whose faith is not solid, who is maybe whose faith is like a passing fancy. In Matthew 10, 13, 20 through 24, it says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So he It's a passing fancy for him. Now when he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. It's not a passing fancy for those who receive that word, make it their own and stand on that truth. When he said in the message that you made it your own, means that they received it wholeheartedly. Good ground, good soil. Paul is affirming, he's commending their faith. What does it mean, friends, to take a stand? Do we take a stand? Taking a stand means to take or make a firm decision for or against something that you are passionate about, that you believe in. Martin Luther King took a stand against racial discrimination. Winston Churchill took a stand against Nazi Germany when many in Britain wanted to seek a deal with Hitler. But he took a stand. In the book of Daniel, we have examples. where Daniel took a stand and went ahead and prayed even though it meant being thrown in the lion's den. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took a stand instead of bowing down to the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had put up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, O king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand. But if not... We will not serve nor bow down to the image. They made a stand that day. We will not bow down. Do we make a stand for what we believe in? For the belief that Christ died, was buried, rose again. Do we make that stand? Many people today make a stand for things they are passionate about. There are many that take a stand against abortion. Praise the Lord. To stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. To try to show young women a better way. The way of adoption or some other means. They attend rallies. They raise funds to help women. Praise the Lord they do that. Do we take a stand for that which we are passionate about? Paul knows that the enemy works to deceive and destroy. He was well aware that the enemy will try to get people to doubt their faith. And he is still doing that today. Trying to get people to doubt their faith. To question whether there is a resurrection. To try to take people's hope away. The devil will attempt to cause division. And bring in doubt. He will try to get people to doubt the fundamental principle the fundamentals that Christianity is founded upon. In Corinth in that day, it was a Greek city. And Greeks in general did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now many did become believers and believe that as Paul preached and ministered there. But Paul knowing that being in that city that there were many that didn't and they would come into the church and bring in doubt. Just plant that seed of doubt that there's no resurrection. When Paul preached in Athens and declared the fact of the resurrection in Acts 17:32, it says when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Nothing's changed people, some believe and some don't. Some laugh and think we're fools. But I'm going to stand on the Word. Whether they think I'm a fool or not. Because that's where my hope is found. Some laughed. Paul's wise enough to know that the unbelievers would try to sway the believers. Try to plant that doubt. Paul said in verses 3-5, through 5, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which you also received, meaning of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that was seen by over five hundred brethren. You know, we've heard many times what faith is, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, The evidence of things not seen. Was any of you there? Was any of you there? Did you see the risen Christ? No. We weren't there. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That's a common understanding of what faith is. Believing in something or some event that we ourselves have not actually seen. Believing and trusting God's Word to be true, right? Is that not what faith is? Whether we believe the account of the apostles, the prophets, the patriarchs. Friends, for us, that's what the faith is. Believing. Is this true? Or is it not? Over 500 witnesses. That's amazing. As far as I'm concerned... That is one of the most important facts that I've read from that Scripture. It cannot be overlooked when you consider the resurrection being seen by over 500 witnesses. It's amazing. Paul said, the majority of these people are still alive. If you don't believe me, you go ask them. Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, if you don't believe my... Word on this account, go ask the 500. That's some pretty hard evidence as far as I'm concerned. You know, think about, as I was traveling yesterday, I got a a visual, an image. Think about in a courtroom. And you have, we're just going to say you got a criminal there, someone that did some criminal act. All right. And you've got 12 jurors, right? So these jurors are gonna listen to the testimony or the witness from both sides. And if there's a credible witness against that criminal, that jury has to decide. Now if there are a very good credible witness plus some other evidence, that jury is gonna decide whether that person is guilty or not guilty, right? Is that not the way it works? So they have to make that decision. Now, with one witness, alright, you're going to have some that's going to be you know, swaying back and forth. What if there were ten witnesses had the same story against that person? Would it not be a little easier for that jury to make that decision? Well, all ten of them, they all agree. Pretty obvious. Guilty. Or not guilty, whichever you know, it may be. My friends, what about five hundred witnesses? I hope this is sinking in. Over five hundred witnesses. There's not a lawyer in the land that could beat that case, right? Five hundred witnesses said, I saw him. I saw him. That's Paul's testimony. That is the word that is written right here in 1 Corinthians over 500. So for me, that's hard facts. Very hard facts. That Jesus Christ did indeed arise from the dead. So, we are the jury, friends. The world is the jury. What we have to decide, is it true? This word, that's it. I believe this word is true, so I believe it's fact that He rose from the grave that He's been resurrected. That's the question here. So the question is, do you believe this? If you believe this, then you believe the witness of the over 500 people that saw Jesus Christ bodily resurrected. Amen? So you, do you believe the Word is the question. That is the question for the day. The resurrection is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is, is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without it, The believer has no hope for this life or the life to come. The Apostle Paul wrote, And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. Our belief in this great teaching is not based upon some religious feeling or upon an unfounded idea about what may have happened in the past. Nor are we talking about an isolated rumor, but about a historical fact with solid evidence to support it. It was recorded, friends. It's been recorded. It's evidence. Do you believe it? That's the question for today. In his little book, Countdown, G.B. Hardy was given up, has given us some thought-provoking questions about the resurrection. There are but two essential questions. Has anyone cheated death and proven it? Yes. Who? Jesus. Has anyone cheated death and proven it? Jesus. Is it available to me? Is it available to me? Yes. yes. Confucius' tomb, friends, is occupied. Buddha's tomb is also occupied. Muhammad's tomb is occupied. Jesus' tomb? Empty. Empty. All right. Argue, if you will, but there's no point, in no point in following a loser, is there? I'm going to follow Jesus because His tomb is empty. And because His tomb is empty, someday our grave will be empty when we believe on Him. Amen? Paul declares the hopeless, hopelessness of man if there is no resurrection. If Jesus Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And if then this life only we have hope, We are of men most pitiable, which means we would be wretched. We're in great need of mercy. You know, even the Old Testament patriarchs look forward to the hope of life beyond this life. In Psalm 17, verse 15, it says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Huh? Looking forward, man, because we know, so we don't know what will be, but we know that will be like him. He knew that. I will awake in your likeness. In Job 14 13 through 15, oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. I will answer you. You'll call. Friends, He's going to call someday. Glory. That should get us excited. In Revelations, chapter 20, it speaks of the glorious resurrection. Chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones... And they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. And also, Revelations 3, 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out His name from the book of life, but I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. You know, this past week as I was reading this, Actually, it was even last weekend that I was reading again 1 Corinthians 15. And for some reason, I just an image came into my mind of the, the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So I, I go to Revelations and I begin reading that. And as I read that, just the image of it. Such a beautiful, glorious city. And you know it has, you've read. How many has read of that? Many? Many have read of that. Alright. So you know it's got the twelve gates. And what does it say about the twelve gates? That the names of the patriarchs are on the twelve gates. Correct? Yes, their names, the patriarchs, those beloved followers of God. Their names are on the gates. But the city also has twelve foundations, each a beautiful stone—sardex and I, I don't remember all the stones, onyx. So many beautiful stones, gems. Whose names is on the foundation? The Apostles The word tells us that the patriarchs, their names is on the gates, and the apostles' names are on the foundation. And you know as I thought of that, what a beautiful thing. Little did those guys know when Jesus walked by and said, "Follow me." And they was faithful to get up and follow him that someday their name will be on the foundation of that amazing city. Little did they know that, but they were faithful to follow. Friends, here's the point. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you. He's saying, sinner, come home. Sinner, believe in Me. Repent, and you will receive forgiveness of your sins. And I will give you hope. I will give you a resurrected life if you believe in Me. And friends, it may not put our names on that foundation, but it will put our names in that Lamb's Book of Life. In that land's book of life. That we can have the promise, the hope of eternal life. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. And that's the message that we have for for all. It's for all the world. Because He wants all to come to Him and have eternal life. To have that glorious hope that we know, that we stand on. Our names are written in that book. I'll just be glad to see the foundation with the names on there. And glad to know that our name is that my name is in the book. That's the most important thing. So that is the question. Is your name in the book? If you've believed on Jesus Christ and repented of your sin, your name is in that book. And if it is not in there, you need to get your name in that book today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't leave today before you do so. Get your name written in the book if you're watching. You might be watching this a month from now or a year from now. If your name is not written in that book, please repent of your sins. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you can have that hope of life beyond this life. Because if this life is all there is, I don't care if we live to be a hundred years old. It's not enough. Because this life we have pain and we have suffering, we have evil. We want that life where none of those things will be. My friends, think about back in the garden. The Word also, He said, As in Adam all men die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. I thought I was almost done, but I'm not. In Adam all men shall die, right? Because Adam sinned, we all die. I want you to think about this. Satan deceived Adam and Eve, did he not? He deceived them into thinking they would not die. But that was a lie. Because then they did die when they ate of the tree. So what is Satan trying to deceive people to think now? That you will not live. He told them they wouldn't die. Today he's trying to get people to believe they will not live, that this is it. This life is it. Just eat, drink, be merry, have a good old time, it don't matter what you do, because you're not going to live. Friends, that's a lie of the devil. Don't believe it? Stand on the Word of God. And say, get behind me, Satan, because I can have life when I believe on Jesus Christ. I preached myself excited this morning. I don't know how I did that. But believe on Jesus Christ. And ye shall live. You can have the resurrected life. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Alright. Some of that time he just gives me stuff right in there. But, so I have to give it to you. I hope you got excited because I did. Our closing hymn is when we all get to heaven. We are going to rejoice. But friends, we come together and can rejoice every week. Every day let's rejoice in Him. Amen?